There's a high fly ball into deep right field. A back goes Baker. A way back. It's gone. Hey, that was my uh, tribute and my uh, Ben Scully interpretation. I got to tell you, man, me and uh, my best friend Richie would get on the bus way back in, oh, wow, this had to be 75, 76. We jump on the bus, man, and uh, we take a dollar. We rip the dollar up because we couldn't even afford the bus fare. We rip the dollar up. That, that would get us a transfer. That means in the fare box, they only got a half of a dollar in there. It's not, it's not even a full dollar. We get up there, we get on the bus, and we do the same thing coming back. We did this for years. We did this for years and years and years until finally one day the bus driver <laughs> stopped us and say, hey, you guys got to unfold those dollars. <laughs> it wasn't even a whole dollar. But, uh, yeah, Vince Scully, man, uh, he's the person that's responsible for me even wanting to do broadcast journalism, wanting me to be involved in journalism, period, and interest in the Dodgers. And this was way back in, in the 70s. And uh, uh, He's going to be sorely missed. And, again, oh, Man, that's that's just my tribute. I know there's stories and stories upon stories in in the sports world about Ben Scully, and of course you're going to cover the Bill Russell topics in your sports segment. But that's just my memory, man, and and that's just it. So yeah, not even being a uh, a Dodger fan per se uh, growing up either. Um, I got baseball a little later in life, um, probably in the late 90s, I want to say not even late 90s, mid 90s. And uh, at that point, I've always been a Mets fan, just, you know, for, for my own personal reasons, but you had to appreciate these, just the uh, the iconic voice of Ben Scully, uh, just to know that he was with one club almost over 60 to 70 years. He started as a 17 year old, I want to say. <laughs> um, he, he just breathed baseball. When you looked at him or if you heard anything, any stories about him, uh, 67, 67 seasons when he worked for the organization. He started in 1950. That's just insane. Right. About some of the things that he saw and just the changes of baseball and, and not just baseball, but uh, the world, you know, and he was covering these things as they were happening. He uh, accompanied the club from 50 uh, all the way to 1957 when they made the transition from uh, Brooklyn to Los Angeles. So during those times, uh, you had to deal with a lot of, uh, I don't know if people know the, the story of Chavez Ravine at all. Do you, do you Are you familiar with that, that story, Chavez Ravine? I'm not completely familiar with it. No, I'm not. Enlighten me. Enlighten the audience, actually. They, uh, they they played in Brooklyn, and at the time, they had the San Francisco, uh, the the New York Giants, which is now the San Francisco Giants, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, and so and then you also had the Yankees. So you had three clubs buying from one market, and at the same time, the the money wasn't really right in Brooklyn. So I believe they played in Ebbets Field. So their uh, owner at the time, his name was O'Malley, he looked to see where there was a place that he could bring West to have an open market to, to see if 
he could open up a stadium there to have its own market to be able to basically make more money and to to draw another new fan base to the sport of baseball. Right. And so they found this land in East East L.A., Chavez Ravine, and they uprooted a whole community. There was a thriving Hispanic community that actually lived in that area. And like like most places of real estate, I think they did this in Eaglewood recently with SoFi, where they paid a lot of people for the land. They paid a lot. I think you had to deal with this one time for a freeway. I did. Hey, man, you got a good memory. Wow. I, I, I remember all of this. So they, they had to pay these people to uproot them and get them out of these neighborhoods that they had established for, I want to say, for years. I mean, this is a, a total community. And so long story short, they dealt with a lot of backlash. They dealt with a lot of, uh, there was a lot of racist things that were going on during that time. So it's kind of ironic to me that the biggest, the hugest fan base in as a Dodger is the Hispanic community. And I bet you they not even understand or know that story of how that stadium became where it is in East LA, the Chavez Ravine, the Dodger Stadium, which in my opinion, I love the Mets, but that is the best stadium. It just you just walk in there, you smell baseball. It just it's different. So yeah, that's how that came about. And of course, like I said, Ben Scully from nineteen fifty seven, he accompanied the club and was their announcer and well-renowned uh, all these years later, 67 years. Yeah, well, that's a good story, and it's a good story to know. I just want to correct you on one thing. It's not East L.A. It's Elysian Park. It's just outside of downtown. Okay, you got it. You got it. So, yeah, so let them hear that part um, just just for, you know, journalist perspective. It's it's located just uh, north of downtown. It sits in a – it sits just opposite of the zoo. It's kind of weird. It sits just opposite of the zoo. And as a kid, I used to go there. I mean, in order to uh, to build that up. Right. As a child, I used to go there faithfully. I'm talking about I was had been to be more than 10, 11 years old. And, and, and that was that was what we did. We we get on that bus and we get there. We would beg for tickets and we, we would get into the game. And uh, that that Chavez, that ravine itself it says a lot that it, it probably was built where there was once water it had to be something flowing through there. There, there has to be a canal or something that, um, that, no, that, farm. yeah, there. farm. Yes. But farm, you know, again, farm requires watering. Yeah. They had, they had a, a great irrigation system that, that they built up. Like there was a lot of things that, that, that community had basically, uh, made themselves in, uh, just, it was thriving. Like it was like the one Hispanic community that was their own at the time that uh, they didn't depend on any, anybody or anything. for. for right. They had their own, they had their own resources, everything. I'm sure, I'm sure um, there is history and they, and you know, everybody culturally follows their own history. Maybe they're not as mad as the Dodgers now, but they see it a little differently as, as cultures change. But the older, the older, uh, Hispanic population, they probably understand what took place and and um, follow that down the line. Um, actually, yeah. It, it, I've, I've asked a few, uh, like some of my friends who are doctor friends, they had no idea about that story. I actually dropped a, uh, it's a YouTube video on it. I'll try to find it and send it to you. But, right. Uh, 
it's uh it's interesting like you said there's a lot of the older they when they won the world series uh, a few years ago that was like kind of how they began the, the documentary it was like the the guy was uh, it's probably like a 20 year old and he was super excited he's like, oh my grandpa my daughter's one and grandma and grandpa would be looking at him like i don't care like you know what these people did to us <laughs> right 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 yeah so now i mean something some things get shadow banned over, you know, everybody looks over things when, when there is some, there is some success. They overlook that, that their whole ecosystem was scratched out, but yeah, it's pretty bad. But again, we're, we're going to move right along into um, the pandemic, uh, the epidemic, the pandemic. And again, we, we escaped the having to wear the mask again, although you know, it just seems like it's up in the air about who should, who should and should not wear a mask. You know, and this hits close to you because your uh, great nieces and nephews, they got COVID, and your little one, he's only uh, like one years old, so he has COVID. Poor Tootie, Tootie got to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, a, uh, after I got back, I was at work and then uh, I just wasn't feeling right. It was like one of those things. It was like a different feeling. I, I've had it at the beginning of the pandemic. So you're kind of like the president, man. You can't, <laughs> you're a carrier. The president in the United States, man, he caught it, got cleared. Three days later, caught it again. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> I guess, I guess when you catch it one, two, three times, you're just unfortunate, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, hey, listen, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like if you catch it, you're just unfortunate. If you catch it twice, you're really unfortunate. So, you know, I, again, we do say use your discretion, protect your family the best you can from it. And I guess, you know, it's that old thing. If, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get. If it's intended for you, you're going to get it. And and hopefully that that you're, you're, uh, you safeguarded yourself because vaccinations don't say you're not going to get COVID. It just prevents you from probably not dying. So it's not, it doesn't, there's no safeguard against not attracting it or contracting it. The, the, um, the only kind of fail proof, since nothing is 100% guaranteed is that you may not die. So that that's one of the loopholes in deciding when or if to get the vaccination, you got to make a decision on, Hey, the pro is they say I might not die as to if I catch it, I may die, you know, or I will die. So that, you know, that's a big disparity in deciding on your life. If you, you know, if you, if you want to keep it, it just seems like it's a, I don't know if it's like a traveling thing because like I said, I've been walking around, uh, go to work every day. You know, I'm around people all the time. I'm not necessarily wearing my mask all the time and been relatively healthy. And it just seemed like when I went on that, that flight, um, and I got it, my wife didn't even get it. She was in the same, same fight as me. Um, and, and I got it. Then other family members, they took a flight and the same thing happened to them and they're around people. They work every day. So just be vigilant as far as that goes. Uh, <laughs> take some extra vitamins if you got to And work out. It, it kind of, it probably one of those, one of those, uh, where they say it's not airborne. It, it has to be airborne. It probably just, it yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not, they're not telling that part, but it has to be airborne because it feels like it skips people. Like you sneeze, it skipped over your head. Like it skipped, somebody sneezed, right? It skipped over your wife's head and got you. Yeah. Totally missed her. Yeah, I, you know. We, we, we masked up. We sit next to somebody who don't got a mask on. I'm pretty sure they was good. Right, yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, now we got to get into these topics. We go into debate, discussion, or opinions. But listen, this 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 world is going crazy. I just read where a guy in New York shot a person for giving him cold fries. They argued over some cold French fries. So he shot the worker over some cold French fries. That's the same as the guy who shot and killed the little girl at the subway for making a sandwich wrong. Something is entirely amiss in this world, something something's really going on in people's minds, their heads, their anger management, or maybe that's just another death sentence or suicide for them. Maybe they ain't going too well in their life and they just decide, Hey, if I shoot this dude, how worse can my life get? It might, if I go to jail, it might get better. Just what if you think I'm homeless and I got nothing else to turn to and I shoot somebody, kill them, go to jail. Guess what? I got three hots and a cot (laughs) and friends. It's just mind-boggling that when you go it's through the mentality, though, also like you don't have nothing to lose, or you don't really, uh, I don't know, don't 
don't really care about things like the outcome of things. Uh, you you would, <laughs> I guess, get mad over some fries or get mad over a sandwich or just that switch just clicks like super super quick on you where you just like you know, go zero to a hundred. Um, there's, I don't know. This is we're in a very violent, um, you know, end all be all type of uh, environment right about now, and the, our surroundings aren't any different. Like people like to be famous for whatever reason nowadays, and get glorified for whatever reason nowadays, and it happens. It's just like one of those things where you know somebody was broke yesterday, they do a TikTok, and, and now they getting all of these different. Uh, sponsorships and, and notoriety for, for like the dumbest thing that we've probably been doing for 20, 50, 20 25 years. Well, so I think no behind it at all because if there, if there was, there, there would be some sort of thought process in between. I don't think there is. Just like it went from, all right, I want a, a large fry and it, give it back to him. It's cold. It's like, well, just make him another large fry. It's like, well, no, I'm not even gonna wait for that. Like, well, 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 what happened is from the story, the news outlet said he was arguing with his mother, the guy's mother. He was arguing with the guy's mother. The mother is the one who got the cold fries. She's now talking to her son on FaceTime about the cold fries. She's mad. She goes outside. The worker allegedly follows her outside. The argument continues, and her son shot him. No, he was on FaceTime with his mom. Apparently, his mother was in McDonald's. She's buying the fries. She got the fries. He might have been in the car. He might have been in the car. Oh, I don't even know if they drive cars in New York too much. Maybe he's walking down the street. Maybe he's outside waiting for her. Well, I, those details have to come out. But what ended up happening... Probably a little bit more to the story. And then the fries just kind of became like the, the headline because that's the easy way to draw people's attention. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, oh, fries reason behind someone being crazy it's like no, i probably was a little bit more than that you know people we like to mouth off people people like to, to get smart people like to you know feel a little bit more emboldened when they're at their workplace or when they're behind a, a counter or when they're behind you know some protective wall well then why would he follow her outside he got shot outside he followed her outside because he, he, didn't, he didn't know or didn't care that somebody else was there or the, was coming well, he did, he he obviously didn't know because he got shot. But it, let, let's talk. Let's let's even talk about what you let's let's mention on and and backtrack what you talk about. People say what they want to say. That's a First Amendment right. You can say whatever you want to say, but you got to think there's consequences. Look at Charleston White. The guy is crazy. He says whatever he wants to say. He offends every single group. He offends. Well, you know he doesn't. He's never said anything about. No, I can't say that. He offends every group, and, and especially he goes after gang members and rappers. Those are his targets. Now, many say that he's getting paid by the FBI to draw attention to the rap community and the gang members, what they're doing, how they're getting their money, and just do like the CIA. We're going to dismantle them. We're going to dismantle rap. Like You remember when NWA came out with the song F the Police, and they got bulldozers and got all the tapes and threw them in a pile and ran them over. This guy's like a one-man wrecking crew. It's It feels like he's trying to uh, disrupt his own community. 
It's weird. Well, um, we we've been on this for would it be about two years now? Right. We've been doing just think about when we first started doing this. There was a few, but now everybody's got one. Everybody's doing you know whatever they have to do, and, and most mostly it's a stick. It's like something that uh, people do to their audience all the time so that they continue to draw that traffic towards their towards their podcast and his stick is like you said is to antagonize and to bring awareness towards the gay culture or whatever hot topic is with with a rapper and i mean whoever's funding it or whoever is protecting him or whatever it's just one of those things where it's that's that's his stick, so that's what he's gonna go. But for. he can offend everybody and anybody. I mean, I mean, I mean, like now, you know, he's saying he's like six nine. He loves, you know, six nine because he says six nine is brave and courageous for telling, and it is just his spectrum, man, is just seem like it's all over the place. Just offend, but offend, but offend, offend. That that's what I'm saying. Is there's, there's 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 methods to their madness. You know what I mean? That's they know that that's gonna draw that that controversy. Whack 100 did the same thing. He, he right. Went for from being like, oh, you know, what, why is he snitching to actually wanting to help manage six nine? You know what I mean? So hey, hey, before you, <laughs> no, 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 I gotta interrupt you, dude. Did you say? Did you see Blueface woman snatches snatches chain off his neck? He supposed to be so tough, <laughs> Mister Tough Guy. He let a girl snatch his chain off his neck and sock him. Dude, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it right now. That's crazy. That's one of Whack 100's <laughs> Took the chain from him. She snatched it off his neck. That was crazy. They're like, okay, big bad rapper. But anyway, let's move into your segment. Let's get into the topic of uh, Mike's two cents, and uh, uh, we'll run that and end it from there. All right, well, of course, we, uh, we've been talking about Ben Scully's passing, um, but I would be remiss not to mention the icon, the legend, Bill Russell passed away on Monday. Um, man, 88 years old, um, not just a basketball player, a coach, a father, uh, a mentor, a civil rights, um, I wouldn't say leader, but a participant in the struggle. Um, one of the, the, the men who stood up with Muhammad Ali um, and that iconic picture with him, Jim Brown, uh, I believe it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, man, uh, I can't name everyone in there, but yeah. I believe I got a good number of them. Right. Was um, but yeah, um, it, it's the symmetry of, or the sim- symbolism of, I literally was in Louisiana. He was born in Monroe, Louisiana. I was in New Orleans, but he was, he was born in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. Went and... Uh, Later on, traveled to San Francisco where he went to college and uh, eventually, of course, becoming a Boston Celtic. Um, it's just funny to me. Like, I, I visited New Orleans, or Louisiana, Ben Scully from LA, doing that whole LA thing. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. The reason why the Mets are uh, have the colors of blue and orange is because the Dodgers left the blue and the Giants left the orange. Uh, it's just very symbolic to me. You know these two legends uh, who finally went home. Um, so rest in peace to Bill Russell, Ben Scully. Um, 
on a brighter note, I, as you guys know, I live in San Diego, um, and the Padres made probably the biggest trade in MLB history <laughs> yesterday. Um, they're, they're calling it uh, the biggest trade since Babe Ruth from uh, Boston to New York. So Juan Soto, now a San Diego Padre. Oh, wow. He, yeah, he probably top three, top five player in the MLB, and he's only 23 years old. Um, so you, you team him up with another 20, I want to say 22, 23-year-old Fernando Tatis Jr., one of the other top five baseball players in the world, uh, Manny Machado. Uh, they got a great pitching staff, one of the better stadiums that you will ever see, state-of-the-art uh, Petco Park. Um, he's going to be jumping out here pretty soon. So they're going for it. They made uh, a trade of uh, some very highly noted prospects, but, I mean, you, you want to go you, – you like potential, but you want a short thing. Trust me, Juan Soto is a very short thing. He haunted us for, shoot, the past four years as a, a national uh, playing in the NL East. Now he comes west, and we'll see how that works out for him and the Padres. Um other than that, um, we're just getting ready. Tomorrow is actually the first uh, football game uh, of the this, this season, uh, preseason Hall of Fame game. It was the Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you probably won't see many starters in that game. It's just more of a showcase of football being back, celebrate the, uh, Hall of the, the new Hall of Famers who are being inducted over the weekend. And, uh, yeah, that's Mike's two cents. Well, you have one cent. Actually, uh I was so disgusted, and I did a podcast. I got to talk real quick because we got four minutes to go. Uh, we did a podcast on ESPN First Take. Dude, they are the worst. They opened the story after Bill Russell died with this. Go ahead. Go. With Deshaun Watson being suspended as of opening up with Bill Russell passing away. They are the worst. But anyway, I just wanted to add that in. The only person I have respect for is Dan or Orlowski. He mentioned the women, the 28, not the four, not the five. He mentioned all 28 or 24 accusations, and he gave his opinion as to why it wasn't right. The Pivot podcast, all those guys, they did a whole segment, a whole two hours on Deshaun Watson and the woman who made the decision to only suspend him six games instead of focus on a person who I haven't read any article of him ever being involved in any altercation that involves domestic violence regarding a female. So with that in closing, ESPN, oh man, you guys. <laughs> yeah, forget about it. But we're going to end this. Good to have you back, sir. Thanks for joining me. May God continue to bless you. May God continue to keep you. Ciao. We gone. Oh.